Support for this episode's serious business debate comes from Salesforce. Salesforce helps small businesses like yours discover how to grow faster than ever before. By managing your sales, marketing, and customer service all in one place, your small businesses can succeed at every step. To see how Salesforce can work for you, go to salesforce.com slash smallbiz. In these segments, we debate some of the most pressing issues in the world of business and politics today, uh, although today's is a little more uh, evergreen. Um, joining us for the first time on Inc. Uncensored is Inc. Editor-at-Large Lee Buchanan. Lee, welcome to Inc. Uncensored. Hi, thank you. And up against Lee is... Maria Aspen. Looking forward to it, Lee. And our topic today is resolved. Entrepreneurs are born, not made. Uh, Lee will be taking the pro side of the argument and Maria will be arguing the con side. To decide who goes first, we're going to flip a coin. Maria, call it. Heads. And it is. So dramatic. Tails. Lee, you get to choose if you want to open or close. Well, since I am the pro person... And I'm such an uh, such a positive person. I guess I will go first. Lee, your opening statement. One minute, please. So, when you ask entrepreneurs why they started their companies, one of the classic responses is some version of "quote I am congenitally unfit to work for someone else." Unquote, which is typically followed by a burst of self-deprecating laughter. Uh, I've worked at Inc. for 17 years. I've interviewed probably. 1,500 entrepreneurs, and I can tell you that the great majority at least believe that they were born that way. And there is actually a lot of evidence to back that up. Uh, Gallup, in particular, over the last few years, has done a lot of research comparing entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs. And what they found is that entrepreneurs tend to have a significantly higher preponderance of certain personality traits, things like determination, independence, and creativity that are not easily taught or otherwise acquired. Entrepreneurs also solve problems differently. There's some interesting uh, research from UVA showing that entrepreneurs tend to think improvisationally. They figure out what they've got to work with, and then they develop goals on the fly. And, and there are also studies that demonstrate a correlation between genetics and things like the ability to recognize business opportunities and a predisposition for taking financial risks. So there is anecdotal evidence and there is empirical evidence for the born argument. And I want to point out that I got through that entire thing without once saying the word passion. Okay. <laughs> and we thank you enormously for that, Lee uh, Maria? So most entrepreneurs fail. One in three new businesses close within three years, according to the Small Business Administration, and the odds only get worse from there. So if there's an entrepreneurial gene, it's no guarantee of success. What is a guarantee of success? Experience. There's a lot of recent research pointing to the triumph of experience or nurture over nature when it comes to entrepreneurs. In 2014, economists at Stanford and the University of Michigan found that success rates of small businesses grew if their founders were serial entrepreneurs instead of first-time founders, and those businesses remained open longer with each new venture the founders started. And in a 2009 Kauffman Institute study of 550 startups, most founders, it turns out, are not Mark Zuckerbergs. More than 75% of respondents had worked as employees at other companies for more than six years before launching their own companies. So whether or not they have a higher preponderance of certain traits, entrepreneurs are indeed made rather than born. Just look at entrepreneurs like Danny Meyer of Shake Shack, who worked for other restaurants before opening his own, or Sarah Blakely of Spanx, who invented her product while selling office supplies for a bigger employer. For these big-name successes and so many less famous small business owners, what they were born with has mattered less than what they've made out of it. Natural aptitude can only take you so far. It's life and experience that makes you a successful entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, 
So now two minutes each for uh, interrogation from the panel. Uh, Lee, let me start with you. You you talked about things that entrepreneurs do differently like solving problems or taking risks. But isn't it possible that those are learned traits rather than given traits? It could just be that by the time Gallup or whomever measures them, they've figured out how to do these things because that's what it takes to succeed in business. It doesn't mean they were born with them. Well, certainly there are, um, you know, quite a few ways to develop some of these traits or get better at them, but there's also a strong uh, genetic preponderance for a lot of them as well. And there's been a lot of research showing that optimism and pessimism, for example, are hardwired into the brain, and optimism is uh, one of the reasons that uh, entrepreneurs are more likely to be willing to take risks than other people risk-taking. Uh, a very important part of the entrepreneurial profile. There's also a genetic predisposition to confidence and resilience and also to creativity, and creativity is uh, specifically linked in some of these studies to the ability to recognize business opportunity, which is critical. Um, So, you know, obviously uh, you can learn and and develop these skills, but it's easier, but there's a certain hardwired predisposition for a lot of them uh, that has been found largely in, in entrepreneurs. Uh, Lee, it's John. Um, you know, we, we're all familiar with the mythology of like the entrepreneur who could only do the thing that he or she, you know, says they could do. But I wonder if there's just some sort of self-mythologizing going on in the sort of interviews that you've conducted so many of that I have. I mean, I think of examples like Brandy Temple, who was written about very movingly in Inc. a couple of years ago. You know, she wanted to be a trophy wife. You know, she had to be up against the wall with her family, essentially their livelihood in danger, the house in danger, before she invented the company Lolly Wally Doodle that – you know, exploded. I just, how do you counter something like that? I mean, like, I feel like this is all just a great deal of self-created mythology that entrepreneurs like to talk about themselves. Oh, there's absolutely a huge amount of self-mythologizing among entrepreneurs. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there is, uh, and there are people who are pressed into entrepreneurship because of need. I mean, people make the distinction between opportunity entrepreneurs and need entrepreneurs. And frequently need entrepreneurs tend to do more poorly. You know, these are people who've lost their jobs or, or whatever, uh, or something goes wrong financially in their families. And the stats imply that, you know, entrepreneurs in general do poorly, that it's not necessarily a need one that does worse. Part of the problem here is that we're not arguing about whether successful entrepreneurs are made. We're just right. That was, that was <laughs> going to be one of my objections to Maria. Actually, Mine let's too. jump right into that. So, Maria, <laughs> Maria you, you're, you, uh, you, you make a compelling case that if there is such a, a gene, it, it doesn't guarantee success. But, but it seems like you're answering a different question. The question isn't, are successful entrepreneurs born or, born or made? It's entrepreneurs born or made. And, and how, do you, how do you make that argument without relying on the success rates or failure rates? Well, it's, it's a good question. I mean, how are we – how are we defining made versus born? I mean, genetic preponderance is a, a term that's been thrown around. But although a lot Gallup and the stats that Lee cited have, I believe those are self-reported stats, right? So I could say that I, I think that I'm pretty confident and pretty positive and I take risks. But how can you actually objectively measure that? I think the Gallup, uh, Gallup uh, has, a, has a way of measuring people's uh, risk that's not entirely reliant on self, uh, self-reporting. But why don't we shift now into the segment in which you cross-examine each other for two minutes apiece. Maria, why don't you start by cross-examining Lee? So, Lee, I, I think 
my my biggest objection to to the idea of there being an entrepreneurial gene uh, that that you're born with the ability to be an entrepreneur or not is um is the demographic statistics i mean if there is an if there is an entrepreneurial gene does it just skip two out of every three women or two out of every three people of color i mean oh ouch if if Given the small business statistics that only about 30 percent of small business owners in this country are women and are minorities, how does that work? Well, a lot of it is opportunity as well. And we know that the opportunity for those folks have been, uh, you know, depressed, uh, extremely depressed. And and by the way, of course, I just point out, this, this is not a pure argument here. And, and if you're getting a little bit moment, every, every human being on the planet is the product of both nature and nurture. You know, and entrepreneurs are no different. To be a pure-born entrepreneur, you would have to go straight from the birth canal into the garage <laughs> startup. And to be a pure-made entrepreneur, you would have to be manufactured in some secret lab buried under the Nevada desert. Correct. So, you know, everybody <laughs> is a preponderance of their external and internal qualities. And the external part has been much harder for uh, minorities and women and, uh, you know, uh, uh, many other people over the years. And because it, it may, they may be, they may have all the kinds of, you know, genetic preconditioning to succeed or at least to attempt something like this, but simply the circumstances were too poor for them. Correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of the entrepreneurs I talk to, those who are successful and those who are not, those who are struggling, say that the best thing they, the best training they've had to be an entrepreneur has been working at other startups or starting previous companies. I mean, that to me is a strong argument that, that to become an entrepreneur, you need experience. You need to be made. Lee, 10 seconds. If they started a previous company, that means they were entrepreneurial before. But also, yes, absolutely, a lot of people go in to uh, take jobs simply to get the expertise and to make the connections because they know it will make them more successful. It doesn't mean they don't dream of starting their own businesses. It just means that they're doing the sensible thing and preparing for them. Lee, you've got two minutes to interrogate Maria. Okay. Um, so the growth company phenomenon was identified in 1979 using data going back at least a decade. And there, were success- there have been successful entrepreneurs long before that, pretty much forever. But the entrepreneurship classes and the incubators and all the kind of apparatus didn't get going until the mid-1980s. And it's only in the last, you know, 15 or so years that it's exploded. So how do you, I'm just curious how you account for all that entrepreneurial success over all those decades and even centuries without the infrastructure or even the knowledge of best practices that we're accustomed to today. Why do you need knowledge or best practices to learn how to do, how, how to run a business or how to start your own business? Is not exposure just to other businesses and to whether or not it's working in a big company and gaining the experience of moving up through the ranks, seeing how things are managed, and seeing perhaps what problems could be solved? Do you need formal training in order to mm-hmm. become an entrepreneur? Not really, because for many decades, uh, the practice of management was considered the business of large companies, and it was not extrapolated out to entrepreneurship. The existence of entrepreneurship as a separate discipline is something people could learn, you know, only dates back really um, about, you know, 40 or 50 years. So for all those, you know, again, decades and centuries, people were not learning these things in large companies. They were not learning them in schools. Uh, in fact, it wasn't until 1978 that it was actually, you know, an entrepreneurship chair, uh, and there weren't books about this. 
and people didn't network. So none of that really existed. But it, uh, according to the Kauffman Institute data that I cited earlier, it's still not – most entrepreneurs are not coming out of incubators. They're, they're coming they're, – but they are gaining experience. The median age of company founders was 40, and 52 percent of respondents had some interest in becoming an entrepreneur when they were in college, but 35 percent didn't even think about it. So that to me indicates that 35 percent of a sample of 550 founders weren't even thinking about this when they were in college. They became made at some point along their careers. And it's time for closing statements. Maria, you're first. As Lee points out, this is not this is not a pure either or. Uh, nature versus nurture is is difficult to debate in any environment, and um, and I think that we can agree that in entrepreneurship there is some of both. I would just argue that natural aptitude can be an indicator of entrepreneurship, but requires so much more in order to create a true entrepreneur. Um, To shamelessly pander to the moderator of our debate series, I'm going to use a music analogy. You can be born with a great classical voice, but success in entrepreneurship or pure entrepreneurship existence is not like opera. It's what you do with your natural talent or how you work around its lack that determines overall state of being and eventual success. Sometimes you're born without a great voice and you wind up as Tom Waits or Bob Dylan. (laughs) Ah, Pandering slightly achieved. Uh, (laughs) Lee, you close us out. I think she wins because of the Tom Waits reference. (laughs) Oh, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Wow. I was voting for you right until that point. Um, No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So, you know, to me, the question with deeper roots and what we've been debating here is whether leaders are born or made. That's something we've been talking about for a long time. And in that debate, the made side tends to be stronger. And that has important ramifications for how companies hire and develop people. The main reason this entrepreneurship debate is important is that we live in an economy that relies increasingly on freelancers and contractors and soloists. There's a frequently cited estimate that by 2020, roughly 40% of the workforce is going to be independent, which is fabulous for all those born entrepreneurs who dream of being their own bosses, but it really sucks for those who are not born entrepreneurs who don't have the comfort with risk or the determination to survive constant setbacks or the creativity to spot opportunity. So I think the thing is that we should be looking at ways to help people act more entrepreneurially, even if it's not bred in their bones. You know, For example, by offering some kind of livelihood or wage insurance, to help people who are uncomfortable with risk and by expanding business education at the high school level. You know, I, I can't say I agree with Richard Branson, who says everyone has the potential to be an entrepreneur. But if everyone has to be an entrepreneur at some point in their lives, then I think we need to prepare them to do that. Perfect. Okay. Audience, please tell us who you think won. Send us an email to uncensored at Um In the meantime, thank you, Maria Aspen. Thank you, Jim. Thank and, you, Lee. And thank you, Lee Buchanan. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Maria. Uh, I'm I'm compelled to ask at the mention of Tom Waits. Lee, what's your favorite Tom Waits song? Uh, Walking Spanish down the hall. Okay. Uh, and I should I should point out that the opinions expressed here are not necessarily those of Inc. or of Salesforce or even necessarily the people who made the arguments themselves. <laughs> One thing every small business can agree on is that growth is a top priority. The best way to help your small business grow is with Salesforce, the world's number one CRM company. Visit salesforce.com slash smallbiz to put Salesforce to work for you.